Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I'm Kai Wright, host of WNYC's podcast, The United States of Anxiety. This season, we're focusing on gender and power, themes that are upending the 2018 elections. On the Politics Brief podcast from WNYC, you get the best of our political coverage with segments from my show, as well as from The Takeaway, The Brian Lehrer Show, and On the Media. Plus, local reporting on New York and New Jersey races from our award-winning newsroom. Welcome to Politics Brief from WNYC. Hi, this is BJ. Oh, poo. I mean, I got so many voters yesterday. Being a campaign volunteer isn't easy, on any campaign, and especially not if you're a progressive in rural Texas, canvassing for Beto O'Rourke. Last Saturday, I had seven volunteers to block walk in the town of Bertram, which is a teeny, teeny, tiny place. So I go up to this house, and it was absolutely a shack. I was scared. It it looked a little uncomfortable. There's black screen netting over where the door is, so there's no door to knock on. And I have my Beto T-shirt on, and all of a sudden, I hear this guy's voice come out, and he says, Hey! You're either damn brave or damn stupid to be on a porch in this neighborhood. And I started to back off, and he goes, But don't worry, honey, I'm going to vote for Beto. Around here, as in many places, some people whose views are to the left just keep it to themselves. They're afraid of backlash from their communities, their friends, even their families. But we found out about a group of women who are so angry at the state of the country that they've begun to organize in secret. WNYC's Amanda Aronchik told their story for the podcast, The United States of Anxiety. Emily? Hello. Hey. A few weeks ago, I called up Emily Van Doon. She's at the University of Texas at Austin doing research into politics and communication. After the election, an acquaintance told her about this group of women who meet in secret with the blinds drawn at an undisclosed location. At first, she wasn't welcome at their meetings— But eventually, once they had built trust, some of the women agreed to be interviewed for an academic paper. I asked her to read me what one of the women said. So one woman mentioned she felt the need to do a secret handshake upon arriving at the first meeting by nightfall. She said just the day of driving in, in the middle of nowhere, in the country, and seeing taillights and taillights and taillights behind you. I think I was the first one to pull in, and then every car after that, people getting out. It was truly a feeling of, like, we should do a secret handshake and look around us in the bushes. It was a very surreal kind of feeling. And then seeing who they were and not having had a clue before that those people felt the same way as I did. I don't know, it was a very unique experience. Of course I wanted to go to a meeting. But the women didn't want a journalist there. It took Emily months to be welcomed at the meetings, and so I sent her with a recorder instead. Hi, Amanda. This is Emily. I am driving to the meeting, so I figured I'd give you a little background noise um, of the windy road on my way there. They won't disclose what county they're in, but I know this. It's rural Texas. There are ranches and farms, and it's a place where, at night, You can see every light for miles and miles. I am pulling into um, the place where they meet. One more detail. In the last election, this community voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump. Hi, dog. 
Emily arrives an hour before the meeting is scheduled to start. Only two of the women agreed to speak with me. Okay, I think that we are recording. So what I'm going to do is hand off um, the phone to the first woman that you're going to interview. Okay. One second. The first woman didn't want us to use her real name, so we'll call her Eleanor. When I first moved here, it's been some years, I was told personally when they found out who I was and where I had moved here from. She's originally from the South, but she lived in a blue state for many years. So someone said to her, Why don't you go back to where you came from? You know, we don't want you here. Really. (laughs) There were two occasions that that happened to me. And we became withdrawn in terms of speaking out about how we felt for that very reason. She realized back then that to be welcome in this community in Texas, she couldn't be politically active. She'd have to stop talking about politics. I have a very large extended family in the area. And they are diehard Republicans and uh, I guess you could call them evangelicals. And they are very, very much opposed to what I believe and what I think. Are you able to still get together as a family? No, but that happened long ago. Uh, I happen to be an atheist. I'm not a Christian, and they are very much upset by that. They have accused me of being the devil and various other uh, things like that. So we have a uh, delicate relationship, we'll put it. And my sister in particular, uh, I still have a relationship with. But uh, the day after the election, she came over gloating to my house about the fact that Trump had won. And that almost ended our relationship right there. Trump's win was a shock for Eleanor. And on the day after the election, all she could do was call up her best friend. We were crying over the telephone. We said, we have to get together. And so we met and literally just drove around in her car, just kind of crying and talking and saying, what could we do? And we kind of spontaneously said, well, we need to have a um, some type of a therapy session. She said, we're grieving. And I said, yes. So they send an email to women who they think might be like-minded. They get together for wine and cheese and crying. Then after that, they meet again, and the group starts to grow. How do new people join if it's secret? Like, do you have to know somebody in the group? Yes. Someone has to know them and invite them and bring them. Yes. Okay. Once you join this group and you sign an agreement agreeing to keep the uh, rules of this group, then I send an invitation for them to join the secret Facebook group. Everyone has agreed to follow the same rules. Rule number one, you have to be a woman. Rule number two, you have to be invited by someone who knows you well. And rule number three, outsiders shouldn't know who's in the group. And now that secret Facebook group has over 130 women in it. What do you worry about for them or what do they worry about? Well, they worry about being affected by the fact that they're Democratic. And I know personally know one member of our group who was fired from her job because she voiced liberal Democratic ideas. I know two other women that think that they would lose business. So then I know several in the group that have um, spouses that do not agree with their point of view and are so adamant that they keep it hidden from their spouse what they're doing. In some ways, Eleanor's story is a cautionary one. 
Some of the women in the group don't want to jeopardize their relationships like she did. They don't want to go home to their families or their husbands and have the same fight night after night. So they stay quiet. The other woman who agreed to speak with me, I'll call her Margaret, she's also in the group and she keeps it a secret because she doesn't want to out any of the other women. But she has less at stake. Like, I don't have young children depending on me. Mm. I'm not a single mother trying to run my own business with three little kids, trying to manage all alone in the world, and I'm dependent on all these people's business. I- I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm older, I'm retired, and um, I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff anymore. And so that allows me a certain amount of freedom that a lot of these other women don't have. When the group started to be less of a therapy session and more of a political action group, they all mailed out postcards and made get-out-the-vote calls. But unlike the women who want to stay anonymous, Margaret's even gone to a few protests. It's there that she's seen the tensions in her community. I've been at protests where there were counter-protesters, and it was unbelievably hostile. She says there was this one time where she was part of a small protest outside a congressperson's office. But even though it was just a few dozen people with some handmade signs, counter-protesters showed up and set up across the street. They all pulled in with their pickup trucks with guns on their gun racks. They get out of their pickup trucks and they're nasty and belligerent and shouting obscenities at us and they're drinking beer. So here you have people who are publicly intoxicated who are being aggressive and have guns on their gun racks. And the drunker they got, the more personal and obnoxious what they were yelling at us became to the point where they were saying, well, yeah, y'all, you know we got guns here. All we got to do is cross this here street and come after you. Emily Van Doon, the researcher who introduced me to these women, helped me understand why this secret group exists in rural Texas and not somewhere like New York City. If you wore a Make America Great hat and you walked down Broadway, you would probably get harassed. And so I would not at all be surprised to find out that there's a secret Trump group that meets, you know, and they don't tell their friends. And, you know, what is the difference between that and this group? Yeah, I think the unique part about this group is that the small nature, the tight-knit nature, the dependence on their community as a rural area necessitates the secrecy some because they just do not have the choice in their community to just find other people. If you put a Beto sign in your yard, everyone knows you live at that house and who you're voting for. There's no anonymity in rural Texas. But it's not like these women want to move somewhere else. They like it there. In some ways, they have a lot in common with their neighbors. It's a patriotic community. They start every meeting with the Pledge of Allegiance. Hmm. um, And they have a flag at the front of the room that they put into this easel. And they would just, like, tuck it in there so it's, like, elevated and everyone can see it. So that when they're, you know, doing the Pledge of Allegiance, um, they're actually looking at a flag. And so in the middle of the meeting, the easel, which is just, like, old, buckles. And the flag comes, like, flying out of this easel. And I, like... Just such a strong memory of them yelling from the back of the room, grab that flag, because it was going to hit the ground. At that moment, I was like, I'm in the middle of rural Texas. Everyone outside of this room essentially voted for Donald Trump. The people in this room did not. But they are so patriotic 
They're willing to meet in this secret place and still pledge allegiance to the flag and still run to catch it before it hits the ground. And that's so powerful and so meaningful. As a group, do you think there's anyone who suspects what you guys are up to? Oh, there are people that suspect what we're up to, yes. But they haven't been able to figure it out exactly. (laughs) Really? Yeah, well, we've heard. We had a spy in the Republican Party meeting who came back and said, oh, they're worried. (laughs) But they can't figure out what you're doing and where you're doing it. What did they say, though? Like, oh, we hear there's a group of women. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, there's this group. You know, they're on the rise. Better look out for them. You know, they're campaigning and they're making phone calls. It seemed like they were starting to have an impact. There was even an article in the local paper noting that voter registrations were up. And a part of it, we believe, is because of all the calling and campaigning and walking and whatnot that we've done. And at the very, very end of the article, there was just a little line that says, oh, yeah, those Democrats are out beating the bushes. (laughs) If you could predict, what do you think is going to happen? I think that we'll have a new Democratic senator. And as far as down the ticket, I don't know. I think that that's uh, less possible. But our candidate for senator, Beto, has done an excellent, excellent job of visiting every county in Texas. And he has a lot of enthusiasm. And he's winning over people that have maybe been borderline because he's not running a nasty campaign. He's running a campaign that says, here is what we can do that's good and right and decent. The women are really hopeful. But I think even if their candidate doesn't win, this has been pretty transformative for them. They're not necessarily all in the political closet anymore. What what is it about the group that makes the difference? Oh, gosh. You know, if you're alone somewhere and you feel like you're on an island, but yet you're surrounded by thousands of people, it's pretty lonely. And... Having this group of women has made an enormous difference to me. And knowing, just knowing that there are people out there that support me and what I believe and support our country and are working for the same goals, it just really, really makes a difference to me. Living in Texas for all these years, Eleanor swallowed a part of herself. She'd convinced herself that voting, privately, all alone in the voting booth, was enough. So every time there was an election, she would vote, and she's like, that's fine, I did my job. But since Trump won, she feels embarrassed that she thought that voting was enough. And now, she's out of the political closet. I don't care if my business suffers, I don't care if I suffer, I don't care if, you know, what they say to me or do to me, that's it. I'm done, and I'm not backing down anymore, I'm not keeping my mouth shut. I'm going out, no holes barred. While Eleanor, as we've called her, says she's going to go public, others in her group are not, and they continue to hold their meetings in secret. Amanda Aronchik reported for the United States of Anxiety, a podcast from WNYC Studios. Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. If you want more, go to wnyc.org slash election.